Get ready for adventure with NPR's only actual play, Dungeons & Dragons podcast. KOSU brings you Red Dirt D&D, featuring the world's greatest role-playing game, including music and sound effects like a classic radio show. Join our seasoned Red Dirt D&D players as they take you on a thrilling adventure through the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Catch new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as KOSU.org, or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, how you doing? <clears throat> we are back, back and live with another Midwest Game Fest online panel. Um, we have been doing these all day today, various uh, different presenters and hosts. We did it all yesterday. We have live play games, we have interviews, discussion topics, um, and we're going to continue doing this all the rest of this evening and then into Saturday and Sunday as well. For this panel, I'm your host, Zach. We're going to do interviews here in just a moment. But before we do, if you are watching this live, either on the Midwest Game Fest Twitch channel or on the World of Game Design channel or anything like that, I would encourage you, go check out Midwest Game Fest, either on their Discord or go to their website at midwestgamefest.com. Um, there's a lot of great games and content that are going on there, and you could be a part of it. And if in-person cons are your thing, they also do an in-person event here in Kansas City uh, in April of 2024. That is going to be a really good time. I've been there before. It's awesome. You should check it out. Um, this panel is called Designing a Game, uh, and I think the full name was Designing a Game from the Ground Up. Um, and I'm excited to showcase this one in particular because um, I, I I don't know that I've seen... I, I, there's certainly panels like this that are presented at Gen Con or things of that nature. Um, but it's not a panel that gets tossed around a lot, and I'm certainly not with uh, some of these cool cats that we have with me today. Um, I'm really excited to have all three of my my guests with me. We're going to go ahead and start some introductions, and we'll get right into the topic. Um, Steven, would you like to introduce, introduce yourself first and maybe tell a few of the games that you've been involved with designing? Sure. Uh, my name is Stephen Radney McFarland. Uh, I've been working as a game uh, designer in one way, shape, or another since about 2000 when I was hired by Wizard of the Coast, when 3rd Edition was launched. I've worked on 3rd Edition, 4th Edition. Uh, I've done some 5th Edition work in various uh, ways, including a 5th Edition compatible project called The Glimmering, which I've been working on for the last couple of years. I uh, also worked on Pathfinder 1st Edition, Pathfinder 2nd Edition, Star Wars Saga Edition, and uh, uh, more recently, I was an advisor and developer for the Gloomhaven RPG that's uh, going to come out pretty soon. Sweet. Perfect. Yeah, lots of cool stuff there. Uh, Andrew, do you want to go next? Cool. Um, yeah, I'm Andy Peregrine. I've, I'm currently doing the lead development for the Dune game from Modiphius and My Little Pony for Renegade at the moment. But I've been freelancing for quite some time. I've done a little piece in pretty much everywhere except i think realizing now i'm probably the anti-steven because the one game i've never worked on is dungeons and dragons and i'd love to so <laughs> it's like the other way around um but yes i did uh, most recently regency cthulhu for chaos was the other big thing but i've i've sort of bobbled around pretty much every company in some form or another um beautiful beautiful all right uh and then diogo Oh, you're muted, Diego. 
Oh no. <laughs> we'll give him a minute here. Diogo, you're uh muted. Still muted. Gotcha. Bye bye. I I thought I clicked. Okay. I still I feel like the odd one now here and like the kids. <laughs> I've I've never worked in like in big companies. I've the like the biggest thing maybe I, I have made for, for like a biggest brand name game was uh, an adventure for the One Ring RPG in the Ruins of Lost Realm. And but I mostly do uh indie RPG things, most my uh, my own creations, my own Altaro, you know, no more cool IPs. I create uh, weird games like Space Dinosaur Rangers defending the galaxy from Little Threats, or I, I have this obsession with poop literature and sword and sorcery. So I make sword and sorcery games in in, in various settings, and I, I just changed the first S. So the first uh, game I made was Sharp Sword and Sinister Spells, which is sword and sorcery. Then I made Dark Streets and Darker Secrets, which is Street and Sorcery. And then I will keep gaming games like Star and Sorcery. And my most recent one is Stone and Sorcery, which is uh, Sword and Sorcery in a fantasy prehistoric uh, age with, you know, cave people, dinosaurs, and aliens, elder gods, and then the tra time travel and all weird stuff like this. So, nice. <laughs> I make games creative yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. I don't I make games for myself and, and hope mm. someone likes them too. <laughs> well, and that's that's really why I was excited to put together the three of you as 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 the the core of this panel because what I didn't want to do is bring three different game designers that all have the same walk and have the same, you know, pathway and make the same sorts of games. And so I thought, you know, one of the cool things is that Andrew, you 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 dive heavy and you you've gotten the opportunity to dive heavy into a lot of IP-based games and design yeah. and that sort of thing. And um, Steven's been hot and heavy with a lot of the games that we all grew up on, right? And these, the, you know, new additions for stuff that we're familiar with to some extent, along with new stuff as well. And then Diogo is like right in the midst of the indie scene. And the reason that's important is because when you're listening to this, I don't know what our listeners are going to be approaching from. Are they yeah. excited about yeah. designing for an IP? Are they excited to design for D&D or to work on a new edition there? Or are they to be fair. Yeah. To be fair. A lot of my games are based on IPs that just spread it off, spread it <laughs> off, you know. So because oh, culture yeah. is a, like a big influence on, on on my games because because of my childhood. So I was really you know shy. So I lived in comics, in cartoons. So mm. I live in brief that, but I I don't have the rights to anything. So you know I, I mix and match stuff, and and mm. and often I, I make my games so. The concept of my games would be, oh, you know, so it's like Conan. If Conan would take acid and get a spaceship and meet, you know, Dark Sun in space, you know. So I mix things like this because they're the reference they have, you know. So. Yeah, but uh, this is one of the things I love about this industry, though. It's because I mean I do some of my own independent ones as well. Because again, I'm a creative megalomaniac, so I am the only work person I can work with. But. <laughs> But it's also, I love to think there are so many small games that started just a tiny game and then suddenly they build a company like 
um, sort of evil hat spirit of the century, that whatever you do, where you don't need to come from the big company or, or the amazing thing. If you've got a good idea, yeah. I mean, I might be being optimistic here, but yeah. I don't think I am, that if you've got a good idea, it doesn't matter how small you are, how tiny it is, if it's really good, it gets out there. Yeah. And if people can find it and respond to it, you can do really well. It builds companies, you know, and it's, I would argue, believe, our most successful role-playing games of all time, so we're looking at Vampire, Shadowrun particularly, they're not IP-based games. They're original yeah. properties that people put yeah. together. I think that's a real, really good sign of the creativity that's out in the industry at the moment, which is really great. Yeah, I don't and I think it. the industry is getting really good about recognizing indie games too, because you see indie games winning awards in big conventions and things like this. So mm. it's there's space for, for everything. Yeah. Well, this, this is what I find sometimes annoying, thinking, oh, it's taken me as I've done my own little games and built my own and got involved in big companies, and now I'm doing a big game. It's not the cool thing anymore. And now the cool things are all the little independent games. So, damn it. I, I, and, uh, I think there's a, a, a real wisdom that individuals or small groups actually create mm. things that become very popular, and then those things become companies. And then it's, it's almost rare that you see companies come out with a you know, sort of genuine, where did that come from? Or if they try it, it, it sort of falls yeah. short. Uh, yeah. I, I saw that a lot of when I was working at Wizard of the Coast, they tried to launch new games and then would be disappointed when they didn't have the big sales of a Magic the Gathering. Mm -hmm. And it's all like a lot of games actually take time to grow. You know, D&D, &D, the first printing was what, a thousand copies? And those guys in, in, in Lake Geneva were ecstatic. Mm -hmm because that was a huge success for them. But if you give that to to a modern game company, even a mid-sized one nowadays, they'd be all like, hmm, well, I guess we'll throw that out, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think there's a, a big chance if you feel like you've got a great idea um, and a great game, try to try to find a way to publish it yourself. Because I think, I, I, I mean, you know, we can look at that with Dungeons & Dragons, uh, to a certain extent, even, you know, Warhammer and 40K, which was oh, Mothership. licensed Mothership, Magic the Gathering in a lot of ways came from that sort of, you know, constraint of Peter Atkinson telling those guys, I like this game Robo Rally, but can you make something cheaper with cards maybe, right, mm. that you can play in a short period of time? And so the constraints, I think, actually often can spur on a kind of creativity yeah. that it seems like multi- million dollar companies just kind of can't do yeah and it's important to remember as well of course the the bigger the company the more it has mouths to feed so it can't take the risk on the small thing that if it's going to put its weight behind a game it has to know it's going to be a bit more successful so it has to be a little more conservative in what its its expectations are but that creates that nice two levels of the industry you've got these big flashy games coming out but you've also got these independent ideas and, and there's room for both one isn't going to eat the other one or anything that's right that's such a key. I think let's hit on that for just a moment. Something that you just talked about there. I think an enormous amount of the people that I talk to, one of the things that I do in my day job, right, is I listen to people who are excited about producing one of their games or a book. And they're saying, I want to take it to crowdfunder. I want to do X, Y, and Z with it, right? And they're trying to find the path forward for publication. And so many of them see the right answer as being, I'm going to take my idea and I'm going to pitch it to a big game company. And they're going to buy it because it's a great idea. Um, and the reality, right, is exactly what Andrew just mm -hmm. said, which is those big game companies, yeah. it's so rare for them, uh, or even a mid-sized one, 
to a not to, to have a slot in their schedule for you yeah but b to be willing to take on the risk of your idea when there's something that they already have cooking that's gotten them to where they are right um you know yeah. if, you know if we if i mean we... It, it's yeah it's similar to i remember chatting to um paul wiggy williams um at a convention and we were sharing game ideas with each other and i sort of halfway paused this like, hang on should we be telling each other our ideas and we both looked at each other and went no yeah because neither of us have got time to do all the ideas we've got anyway we're never going to get round to stealing anyone ideas there isn't any time you know yes. you, you want somebody else because when you hear these you say i want you to make that because i want to play it i don't you know it's that sounds really next, cool. Yeah. An execution is where it really lies, right? Ideas, mm -hmm. like we have more ideas than we can know what to do. So I think yeah. well, some I think people are, are really too worried about, oh, I can talk about these ideas because people are going to see it. And it, it really, mm -hmm. I don't know. I I think execution is where it is because we are oh, and... talking about the over there this is the yeah. uh this is this is the warning i would say to any game designer or person out there and this is an important and desperate warning everyone should be aware of do it do it now because ideas are a gift and if you don't use them somebody else will get them yeah um yeah. because i remember this with years ago one of the first games i was toying with was a game i called night's eye the idea was you're playing domestic cats who are fighting an evil humans were unaware of i got all kinds of bits and pieces done for it never quite finished it never quite got round to it thought this is a pretty good marketable idea i must do something with it one day i must finish the writing and then john wick wrote cat um i did all of that and i i came up to john at a convention one day i was chatting to him and said uh, oh by the way you know obviously i hate you because that was my idea and you 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 got it damn you curse you and he said well um well funnily enough what i really wanted to do one day was to write a fantasy world where evil had won the last battle and those guys over there did midnight before i could get around to it so if, and I'm sure if I'd gone to the Midnight guys, they would have said, oh, yeah, we wanted to do X. And it would have led back to something yeah. I've done eventually. So if you have an idea, make it. Don't don't wait, spend time waiting. Do it now. <laughs> Get it out there. Um, yeah, I mean, ideas are so fluid and they're so hmm. affected by, you know, the various things that, that you know, we grew up on or read or continue to read and, hmm. you, you know, uh, uh, before this, uh, Diago and I were, were were talking about that idea, and uh, he, he brought up the the book. Uh, what is it? Steal like Steal an like artist, an artist. Which, yeah. which which talks about uh, which talks about that, which I immediately bought, um, and I'm going to uh, probably devour. Uh, eat. But um, yeah, I mean, ideas are so fluid, and you know, to use some corporate speak, undefendable and everything else, the more you can put it down as a concrete expression, even in the yeah. basic sort of playtesting form and try it out and see if it, uh, you see if it's got some traction, do that as soon as you can. If you, if, 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 if you're digging the idea and you think it's awesome, just try something, see where it takes you. Uh, because if you've got the enthusiasm yeah. and time to do it, great things can come about. I, I would even say that even if someone else already did it, if you do it, it's going to be different because uh, humans are capable of making mm. perfect copies. So if you try to do, if I try to do a vampire game, it's not going to be Vampire the Masquerade. You, you're always going to infuse it with something else. You're always going to try to do something else because it's, whether or not 
it's it's a kind of an art form you're going you're creating an experience and then you're going to shape it by your own experience yeah. so and and I have to say, from a, from a business point of view, you may well find that if you've got a similar idea to somebody else and you've got it out there and it comes out at the same time, it might actually help both of you. Because yeah. I know that Modifius has, and has had for a long time now, Act on Cthulhu. Cubicle 7 was doing World War Cthulhu. And I would, a number of times, yeah. I would be at conventions on either stand, because I've worked for both of them, that, um, yeah. that I'd see people coming to pick up one with an arm full of the other one, because gamers will go, hey, I want to do a World War game there's all this stuff i want to buy all of it so you know sometimes it actually works it's not you don't find yourself in competition in the same way it actually sometimes helps each other out that's the of course of everyone else going, wow i've got to get into this everyone's doing world war games i've i've got to be a part of this so, yeah yeah, it's the basis of the OSR. It was kind of the promise of the OGL that we could all sort of, you know, the mechanical aspects, the stuff that is questionable whether or not it's defendable. Hey, you know, can we iterate on this? Can we share? Can we create a better game as we move forward or or something that, you know, uh, new people coming into game. hobby or different games or mm-hmm. everything else? And so, you know, it's it's really kind of funny is, is one of the things about that sharing aspect is it just benefits us all to begin, uh, you know, to begin with yeah. and right down the line. Cause um, as, as we, you know, engage in this conversation, we're all going to have ideas, some of them better, uh, some of them worse, but uh, even some of the worst ideas through iteration and just pounding it into shape uh, can create new and interesting things. What do you think if you're if you're a new game designer or you're, you know you're an enthusiast and you're looking at I have a great idea and maybe your great idea is let's say you want to make a Mad Max game or you know a Gasland style game and you're, mm-hmm. you you just have the the formation of an idea that I want to emulate this concept of the the antihero or or the 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 survivor in the Mad Max the legend but also the cars and I don't see a system in the world that does exactly that so I'm going to design my own game. Where do you start with that? Like, what are the first steps that you think a new designer should start with if they're thinking about creating something from the ground up? I think I would. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I mean, one of it, the, the thing about it is figure out what you like about that, right? You know, what, what what sort of drives you and then see if you can't create mechanics. And even, you know, it doesn't have to be dice mechanics. It can be. Uh, uh, you know, take out your model cars, right? Start fooling around with them. Is there something that I can do here that's that's quick, that's playable, that's understandable? No. All right, take out the Jenga tower. Do I want something like this, you know, where if the Jenga tower falls or even, you know, a modified version, that's the car crashes. Like just try uh, various ideas. And of course, look at what other people have designed uh, as well and see like, has somebody done a, a great job of this? You know, uh, I found Car Wars. I don't think I want to get that, you know, too far into the weeds. Mm. Um, but I, I, a, a coworker of mine, although I never got a chance to play this game, he did a sort of a Car Wars version with Wings of Glory kind of like mechanics. And I was always uh, mm. like, I love Wings of Glory. I think that's a, that, that's a fantastic game. Mm. 
And so, you know, can I do something with that? How, you know, how does that work, you know, just on the, the, the car mechanics and then figure out the survival mechanics and then how you're going to have conflicts and, and everything else uh, within it. But try a bunch of things and see what sticks. Exploration yeah. and discovery. I, yeah. yeah. And I think it's, I mean, and it's sort of coming back to that is it has to be, you have to think about what your setting needs for what you would like to play the game. And not in sense of, you know, what special dice you roll, but, you know, does this car game, is it going to be a, a tactical game where you're going to be spending six hours to work out wh what relation you are to the other cars? Because that's the thing you find cool. And then you need, th because that will need mechanics that are very specific and very tactical and very realistic or do you just want a thing where you drive along you blow up each other in which case you're going to want something fast so you want lighter rules things and you want something what will play quickly and um and just as you say coming back to the, the previous thing read and know a lot of different games because you see this thing um and we always see the fantasy heartbreakers or, or the games where you know, I've seen them at conventions where people say, oh, this game's completely different because I use a D12 instead of a D20 for my version of D&D. And you go, but clearly all you've ever played is D&D. That's great. And I'm sure you've had some great games and I'm sure your game is good, but you've it's not as new as you think it is because there's so much out there you're missing and so much will give you, so many things will give you ideas. Um, but, you know, I'd, I always come back to what does the setting need as the first thing don't start with the rules start with how you want the game to play you know fast flow quick quick and easy or, you know to you know just do you want it narrative descriptive do you want hardcore rules to it how much time do you want between those rules do you want lots of tables is right. that going to make it quick or is that going to slow it down those sort of things that no tables yeah. <laughs> the best games I think that I see uh, are games that have figured out exactly what you said, which is what are the things about the setting or about the story or about the IP that I love that I want to highlight or underscore. And then how, then how can I make the mechanics reinforce those mm -hmm. aspects? Um, and, you know, the, I think one of the hallmarks of this in modern gaming is the alien RPG, right? Where we, we find mm -hmm. that that game is perfectly yeah. distills what the alien movie is about and finds a way to reinforce mm. that mechanically where you could play an alien game using powered by the apocalypse or D and D or anything like there's no reason you can't do that. But what alien, what free league brought to the table with year zero and the panic dice, right? Is it's not mm. just about our system can do this. It's about the me mechanics actually reinforce the narrative structures that the GM is going to want to utilize right that's going to help taking some weight off of the game master mechanics should take weight off of the storyteller as opposed to creating more of yeah. an impetus for them and yeah, there are so many good things about the alien game it is one of my one of my votes now oh, i've worked on that um, <laughs> but it's again i think the other one again is that the ai for aliens basically the roller dice to see what it does you have times where basically you're trying to frantically reload your gun and the alien is just hissing at you but you know any bad dice roll against you it's going to cut you in two the, the tension it builds at the table is phenomenal that whole system to it it's a pr perfect example of taking a simple rules and making all of those little tweaks and fiddles really reflect the setting and how you want the game to be played with with and i have to put a shout out to if they're watching the uh, the most insidious pieces of games design i have ever seen and i you know it's, I, it's one sentence in the book it's the it's the experience system for alien 
where it just has all these little questions of, you know, did you solve the adventure? Did you get out alive? And this is one quiet line that just says, did you try and make money in the game? And I thought, yeah, that just does that whole thing of when your players are going, no, we're going to get out of here. There's an alien on board. We're going to leave. So, well, there is a substantial dollar value in the um, all those things in the cargo bay. Yeah, yeah, we don't care. We don't care. We're going to die. You'll get an experience point if you try. There's um, always one rogue in the party. And, yeah. <laughs> and suddenly they're interested again. And, you know, those ways that you make the players play the way you want them to because of course that's also part of the style you want to get them on board with the theme and style of the way you want to play the game it's those little tweaks alien is full of them they've done it so yeah. well and it's subtle it's really you might not even notice them unless you really get into the system but you you see these little sentences and go oh nice all the way through it yeah diogo i, I would like i would like to add to that you have to know that you can have everything in the game, you know, because some, some people try to make the games do everything that is possible to do in that universe. And that makes the game, you know, if it can do everything, you don't know what what what, what are your focus, what are you looking at, what is like the sense of the game. And not to mention it will be too hard to make. You have to, you know, spend a lot of time making it. And if, as Zach was asking for someone at the beginning, that's going to be a lot of work. And, and my second, you know, uh, tip would be try to make the minimum vi uh, viable uh, version of that game to start playing it right away, and then you then you build over it, and over time you you get a fuller game. But for you to not wait to like, because sometimes people think about making those. Oh, my first game will be this 400 pages book with everything like setting. Mm -hmm. Try. Start with a small game, maybe a zine game, mm -hmm. and then you build over it mm -hmm. because uh, it's important as you are starting to build confidence. So you finish something, you know, because if you try to make it, uh, uh, try to make a gigantic game, uh, you spend a lot of time, you don't see the, the end line, you know, so you can get demotivated. So try making the, the, the smallest mm -hmm. possible version of what you want to do, get it done, publish, and then you you can get better afterwards because the the big difference not between you know a uh, 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 bad game and a great game it's between someone that doesn't make a game and someone that does because you can get better over time you will get better over time mm. so start that's, small that's so yeah. huge like like the idea of again we t I talk uh, I had a freelancing panel freelance writing panel um, and a Kickstarter panel back uh, in the last year several shows. And one of the things that I said was like, there's there's probably half a million people out there that want to write, uh, you know, a game supplement of some sort. There's probably half a million people. There's probably five thousand people that actually sit down and write it. There's and and and, and there's probably a thousand people who actually finish it. And then there's probably fifty people who will actually turn loose of it at any given time, right? So the the objectives here and, and the way that you get a game published or you, the way that you get a game out there well you can bypass 495,000 of those half a million people if you will mm. just get it finished and be willing to turn loose of it yeah um, that's that's so huge because there's everybody so many people you'll talk to are like oh i have this game sitting in my closet you know or in my drawer or on my hard drive years 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 and and mm. you know the 
that's fantastic that they finished it, but they just miss they're just missing that one key step, which is what you talked about, Diego, which is turning loose of the project. And and it's often hard to turn loose of your baby or your your dream project or the the thing that you your 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 masterpiece in your own mind, right? But starting with a zine or starting with a smaller project, start with something that you feel like you're more likely to be able to turn loose of is sometimes because because it'll, it'll never be truly finished i mean look at the, the yeah. different amounts of of editions we have for games you play it for another year or two and you go ah i should have done that or could have done that better um and you either learn that and put it to your next game or you do a new edition but uh, i would also also add as, as now we have the amazing starting point for for new writers of community content and you know with you've got dm's guild chaosium is immensely supportive of theirs as well they've done you know full hard cut you know physical copies of a load of their stuff as well and they support it modifius has got one there's one you know 7th c i mean I, and i and i do them myself as well because they're a great way to just dive in and do stuff um and you're not beholden to you know anyone asking about it you can just do a thing that you think is cool and it's a great way to you know, get all the support with all the templates and make to make it look professional and you can just get it out there and get your stuff out there and and practice on it so i mean Community content stuff for all of it is, you know, the first thing you should be, I would say, leaping towards. Grab your old adventures that you've half written up when you were GMing, you know, particularly for D&D. &D &D. You know, get it off the, the back of the envelope that you wrote it on last time, right? Write it up neatly because part of that process of going, well, I know how to run this for me, but how do I make it so somebody else can write it? And then you'll start thinking all the cogs and gears of, oh, hang on, I never actually explained that, or I need to write that down, or I need to tell people about that to get the actual game in a in a, in a status that people can actually, other people can read. It's great practice for professional writing. Um, you know, and your experience with that will give you all the information you need, but you know, get it out there on that. I I have a suggestion to do mm. hacking, like the indie community is great about mm. hacking game. There's a lot of games with open game licenses and game gems that they offer the system and they and have a lot of hacks of, of the games themselves. So you can look about how people have made it and make your own. Uh, they're very simple games are games with one page that you can learn how to make like uh, mm. John Harper, Lasers and Feelings is a fantastic game oh, yeah. that you can study and make you your first game in like mm. hours you know it's 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 fantastic to explore and start small and the indie hypergy community has a lot of gems and then sometimes uh offer uh even you know uh art free art stock art and and, and public domain art they have treated and made available too so there, there's lots of options from you know both sides that you you can explore as well, you know, Stephen, mm. very much so. Um, but Steve, Stephen, I want to go back to something that Diogo said and pitch it to you. Diogo talked about, um, you know, getting get just getting the minimum viable game and then playing it. Um, and then in chat, one of the questions that's coming up is, how long do you play test something before you release it? So, uh, talk to us, or let's talk go down that road a bit about how much of a roadblock should playing the game yourself or play having others play test the game for you be between you and and releasing your game 
Well, playtesting is always beneficial, right? Um, uh, for instance, my my main passion project for the last few years, I came up with the idea through talks with uh, some friends, uh, most notably Rob Schwab, uh, and I've been working on this Delve RPG on and off, you know, in, when I can uh, for a long time. And every convention I go to, I try to run a game of it at least once just to see what people think about it and everything else. So even doing that um, is, is is absolutely fine. But when we did fourth edition D&D, even 3.5 and uh, uh, Pathfinder second edition and uh, and everything else, we play tested it a, a good deal and then threw it out to, to play testers as well, because you're going to, you know, you get so used to how it runs, you want other people to run it. Um, now, that being said, if uh, you're very excited about the game and, and whatnot, and you want to release it pretty quickly, I wouldn't let playtesting be a huge barrier. Um, it's okay to put out a first draft that's a little flawed and then watch what blooms from it and sit there and go, oh, I think I can I can tighten this up and everything else. Trust me, uh, folks will be appreciative of that, uh, even if it's just, you know, I put this PDF up. Um, this, you know, and, and be honest with people, tell them why you did it, what yeah, you want to sure. get out of it and, and everything else. And you'll find that even though there's a lot of snarky gamers out there, there's just as many, if not more, very supportive people who want to see other folks succeed and will be understanding of, of, Hey, I'm a new game yeah, designer. Right. I have this idea. I want you to try it out. Tell me what you think. Take, it's hard to t throw your baby out there and have a whole bunch of people complain about it. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But, you but know, you've, uh, yeah. always you've got to hear to find, it. Yeah. You've got to hear it and always try mm. to find it constructive. Uh, I used to yeah. share an office with Sean Reynolds and people would complain on the mm. forum and Stephen, he'd be like, Stephen, read this. And so I'm like, Sean's a jerk. He's a pain in the ass, blah, 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 blah. But here's the problem with this rule. And I'm like, the guy has a point here. Sean would go, what? And I'm like, not about yeah. you, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yes, right? I mean, yeah. You know, and so let that as much as you can. It's not easy for everybody. Let that yeah. roll off. You find the constructive criticism in there and ask yourself the hard questions of can I make, is this person right? How much is this person yeah. right? And how can I fix this problem that the rules or the, the game or the setting or anything else seem to have? And then, uh, and, and then move forward. Right. Uh, that's because we live in a time space continuum. You can only move forward. You can't go back and. And that goes that goes to what Andrew was saying earlier, I think, which is that you got to make the thing. You got to get it done. You got to get it written. Yeah. And and the truth about playtesting, at least in my eyes, is like there's a limit to it. And if you can get that limit, that's great if you can hit that. But at some point, the reality is just as much as you can be stuck in development hell or manufacturing hell or writing hell, you can also be stuck in playtesting hell. And yeah. so, there's always going to be a new person with a differing opinion or a criticism that makes you potentially rethink the entire thing. And I think with me, at least with playtesting, it's about defining what I'm trying to get out of this. And when it's time to exit is a huge part of playtesting. Otherwise you'll just get in a slight cycle yeah. of criticism and revision that at some point you got to find the exit ramp and just go. Yeah. Cause this is the one I mean, I wanted to come back to what Stephen was saying on, um, on different, opinions for things it's not always that people are being an ass to come back and comment a lot of people which you won't realize because we always play our games in our own groups and you go it works for my group 
and so many groups play in completely different ways and have completely different expectations. And as soon as they find your game, they'll go, they won't have the same baseline that you ran it with. And they will actually come back with genuine things that were a genuine problem because it's just not the way they game. And if you want this game to go out there and do well with lots of different people, it's got to work for everyone's style. So, or at least yeah. try to be at least not against that. I mean, we did this with, um, we were stuck in, it sounds glamorous to say we wanted a games retreat with the end world to look at Judge Dredd. Uh, we were in a caravan park in the middle of nowhere and locked ourselves in to play Judge Dredd. But the others were very much figures and um, tactical maps. And I, that's not, tend, doesn't tend to be the way I play. I'm more narrative and theatre of the mind. So I made a point of specifically playing it when it was my turn to, to run such and that way because we needed to see that it worked in every different way. And things came up in different ways. So you need to let that happen with all the different groups that might potentially play your game. Absolutely. I'm yeah. I'm the tactical guy who would set up the fancy mm. table with the nicely painted miniatures and everything yeah. else. But, but it's it's good to mm. be able to strip that down as well and sit yeah. there and say, OK, mm. we're on the road to the convention. We want to play this game. Can we do it? Theater of the mind. And if the answer is no, you you know, mostly given uh, what people expect out of role playing games uh, these days, y you should probably rethink that. Yeah. And, and there are different sources for your playtesting as well, because I mean, one particularly useful thing where we were doing um, playtesting some of Dune and I must admit one of the things we did um, I think he might have been quite surprised for me to call him was we looked at all the people who were very engaged on the forum and there was one guy who I would always butt heads with and say you know that I don't like that and I don't like that why have you done it that way and that doesn't make sense so he was the first person I asked if he'd want to do some playtesting because I thought if we don't agree but he knows what he's talking about then he's one of the voices I want telling me what's wrong Absolutely. but we passed out all the, the sort of beta play tests. We had two things running with Dune. We had the sort of beta play test there where we were showing it out to people. And the one thing that came back absolutely all the way through was that we don't get drives. Your whole drive system of this doesn't work because all your characters are meant to be, maybe if you've not seen Dune before, um, all your characters, you say why you're going to do the thing. So is it because of power or justice or whichever? And that was the one note we got back above all others with drives, don't make any sense, don't like them, don't know what we're doing. We thought, oh, we're going to have to rethink the whole thing. But at the same time, we'd got the wrecking crew was running some um, convention games for us. And the one thing they came back with from all of the, the testing and all of the games they played was people love drives. They really respond to drives. They really get drives are a great thing. So what that told us was that, thank God, drives were OK, but we needed to explain it better. We needed to tell people, better, give better examples, get, get get more detail about how you use them into the core book, because otherwise it wasn't going to work. Um, and it's so learning all those things and how that's going to affect your game and how you present it to people is is vital in the end. Yeah, I, I was going to say that one of the tips uh, that I learned watching uh, uh, we write talk about game design was when sometimes when you get feedback, they they will solve the problem and you give you a solution. You got to get rid of it. You got to change it something mm -hmm. else. It's the secret. It's ignore the solution they're having because they're not game designers and and they they haven't studied this sometimes. But pay attention of the problem they're pointing to because that's where the problem is, and mm -hmm. and it's that's what it is about and. Talking about the indie perspective, because sometimes indie indie game designers, because it's so personal games, they take it very personal, 
and then I, I know sometimes I take it, but you have uh, a, a good strategy that you get the feedback, you get pissed, leave it mm. off for a day, come back to it the other day for a cooler head. And as I said, look at the problem and see where, as you said, if it's, it's good or, or bad, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I have to add the, the more positive note of this thing. So that, yeah, it is, it is tough when you put your baby out there and people say, I hated this or this was rubbish or you don't know what you're doing. Uh, but to be honest, that isn't as common as you might think. It's yeah. not the internet is not full of haters. And there yeah. is, and on the reverse of that, there is nothing like someone coming up to you at a convention or, or dropping a line thing and saying, I just played your game and me and my group had the best time. Let me tell you these cool things we did. And you're usually thinking, wow, I never made it to do all those cool yeah. things. How did you do that with that game? Uh, and hearing how amazing that people have happen, yeah. done amazing things with your game. There's nothing like it. it so that that is always worth it in the end. Yeah, and you will get yeah. there with it. So. I think you've just answered uh, Chat's most recent question, which is, is it better to tell a table that you're the designer of the game or not? Um, which is, is I think... No. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to put that is a nice, It's a nice nod afterwards yeah. if you enjoy it. Yeah, but not, yeah. not up front, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tend not, you know, other than if I'm going to, to a show and people tend to know me at that show, like, uh, you know, if I'm going to Gary Con or something, right? There's just going to be a whole bunch of folks. that's like, oh, Stephen's running his game. Right. Um, but when I uh, I went to um, an event in New Orleans, I don't, you know, or something like that. I I, te I tend not to tell them until after, yeah. right? Just to see, because yeah. they just think it's an event, and um, and you're going to get, a, you know, uh, one of the one of my biggest skills in running a table is 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 reading the table, right? And I find that's very good, especially with strangers. It's my years working in organized play, where it's yeah. all like, okay, what are the basic sort of player types here? You know, from newbie yeah. to you know, and and how can I present this game in a way where I think this mix is going to have a really good time, and also how can I, especially when I'm playtesting a, a, a new game or, or a new sort of thing, who's scrunching, who's going like this, who's you know like trying to figure things out, and uh, you know, it was one of the things when we did in the Glimmering that I found out that spell slots of all the things in Fifth Edition, new players have a huge problem with spell slots. They just don't get it, right? They can eventually get it, but when you're running a demo, you need to find a simpler way to get that, especially with somebody who's playing a spellcaster thing. And so we, we, we found a way around that. But yeah, if you can, and there's a lot to do when you're running a play test yeah. and you've got a group of people who don't know who you are or what you're doing, uh, find ways to watch when they start to scowl, when they start to go like this, when when they ask questions, of course, right? You know, more blatant things, but keep that in mind because those are your problem points. And then go back and sit there and say, how can I make this a little bit more intuitive? How can I make this easier, just more satisfying? One of the things love yeah. um, as a point of advice, I don't remember who who said it when, it's been a few years, but somebody said like, you know, as you're working on your game, if you find yourself avoiding something, or if you find yourself like, uh, you know, if you see a weak mm. point, or you're avoiding a weak point, especially, if you can encourage yourself or force yourself to focus on that, like, if you're if your entire product is an is a B, right, B grade product, and if you can focus on the thing that's currently at a D, 
and you can bring it up to that B, you've actually raised, that's a faster way of raising the yeah. overall quality of your game than if you only focus on the things that you feel like it, your game does super, super well or that it presents super, super well with. Um, I know uh, we're designing, um, I was talking to Andrew about this before uh, the show, but was talking, we're designing the Hannibal RPG, right? Mm. And one of the things that I had kind of shoved into the corner was combat. Because, oh, combat's not a big deal in Hannibal. We just want to set it to the side. I'll deal with that later. We'll write a little thing. And then, you know, as soon as play test happens, or as soon as you, you're listening from other writers or, or guest writers, and you're like, ah, there, there's there's a lot of confusion, or there's, there's some amount of confusion about how combat works. If you just ignore that, or you try to skim over it, you know, like, 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 and you focus on the things that you're already excited about, chances are when you put that game out, that's the thing that everybody's going to fixate on. It's like the combat system sucks, right? Um, and so if you can go and you can raise that combat system, even, you know, I'm not saying we did it this way, but if you raise that combat set system from a D to a B, you've you've removed one of a big inhibitor from somebody really enjoying it, um, which I think is a huge piece. Like, don't ignore things. If you feel like they're a weak spot, if you feel a weak spot, if you feel something that you're trying to avoid, that's probably where the main area that you should be spending some time. Yeah, you, you basically need to give everything to the in the games. Games design needs to be there. You can't say, "Oh, and just fill in that blank yourselves," because that's that's the hard work job of the. Nobody's bought a game to finish it themselves. They want it to be done. <laughs> um, and I was I was going to add as well when you talk about. Run it, running games as well, but um, that not every games designer is necessarily a great GM. Although I, I would argue that if you want to be a good designer, you should GM a lot because there are a number of times where I'll be reading a scenario and I'll be going, right, if I was running this, what would be happening? And if you've got experience of GMing things, you'll see all the problems that will come up before you've even got to the table with it. Um, but uh, but yes, I say there's, you know, it's like I say with, I'm going to upset loads of people now if I said, uh, take Tolkien as an example. I think he would have made a lousy GM, but an amazing games designer. If you look at the world, the world is incredible. The setting and the, how things fit together, the spirits, the character, everything. But to read the books, the description of trees, the characters aren't very exciting. All of the, everything's a bit samey in places. His female characters are all just elegant and beautiful and don't say very much you know this, you think he wouldn't have been a good gm but my god he would have been a good games designer so yeah. yes i've upset well, everyone I, now i'm gonna have to go yeah, no. hide my dress <laughs> when when uh i i taught some game design courses one of my favorite lessons was i would bring in the chapter of the mines of moria where they uh you know fight all of the uh all the orcs and the in the cave and I'd have the students read that. And then we'd watch that section. And I'm like, how different are these two things? And they're like, wow, they're really, really different. Like, you know, I think in the, in, in the novel, all they ever see is the cave troll's leg. His leg goes out, shots are fired. You never, like, he doesn't come in and do all of that stuff. And I'm like, so why do you think Peter Jackson made these changes? And they're like, well, of course it's a movie. It's gotta be more exciting. Okay, now you're gonna make a mini game of the same thing. How are you going to change it? Because, because you know, games are different. They're, uh, you know, yeah. they're not as passive. You need to build this excitement within your players. How do you do that? And, and all about agents. Yeah. It, 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 absolutely. It's, it's, about it's all about agents. It's different from every other media because it's you will be responsible for what happens here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
100%. We're getting pretty close to time here. We've got about 13 minutes left in our in our hour. Um, Diogo, let's start with you. Um, as we're kind of, uh, we'll, we'll turn it to you to say like, hey, if there is there something that we haven't covered yet on this panel, one piece of advice or one note that you would want to make sure that a new game designer would, would keep in mind? Uh, I, when we're talking about sending, you know, games to big companies, uh, I, I don't think we, we talked about, you know, self-publishing, you know, uh, it is an option. You, you can, it, it, I started with print on demand. I know it's like not the best thing to deliver, you know, quality books to people, but it, they, there's some good print on demand, uh, sites over there. I'm not from the, from the United States or Europe. I'm from Brazil. So logistically it was complicated. So print on demand was, uh, the choice I have, what I was able to, you know, get to, to know people. And another thing, if you want to, you know, publish and, 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 you know, have people look at your, your game, you have to look at other people's game too. And there's, there's a line that I love in a book that I recommended here that I recommend every, for everyone out there that wants to make games. It's Silicon Arts that says, if you want to be interesting, you have to be interested. You know, if you want to mm -hmm. be interesting to the community, you have to be interested in the community You have to be there and participate because it's hard from, from like someone arrives from nowhere with, with something and, and wants people to, to pay attention to what they're doing. It's hard because we haven't seen you doing anything. So, and then while the second thing I would the other thing I would say is while you're developing your game, share the work you're doing, share the development of it, because you will learn from, from how you're sharing people will teach you things you will learn from, from people and people will, will see what you're doing. And once the game is finished, they you already have a public because yeah. people will see the story of your game forming. And there is nothing better than the, everybody that do, does marketing knows that marketing is all about telling a story. So if you're telling a story of how you make your game, you're already, you know, building your game, building an audience, learning as you do that. And when the game is ready, everybody's going to, you know, already be waiting for it. Yes. Well, I'll jump on the marketing because that kind of ties into my um, one note, which would be you will fall in love with your game far sooner than anyone else because it's your idea. The best way to get somebody else on board with your game, for me personally, is A, for you to be there, right, in the room sharing your excitement, but, 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 but B, find some sort of way of visually communicating your game. Um, because I, I can't, I, well, there's somebody in chat, uh, Gridlock in chat here that's been chatting with us. Um, when he showed me, when he talked to me about his game for the very first time, which is called Realms of Elgroom, um, he showed me a piece of art that he had commissioned for it. And this was, you know, before he made a single book, before he had done anything. And I'm like, holy crap, I love that I do art. that. And it communicates so much about what you're trying to do with your game. I'm on board, right? So sometimes I, I think eating with your eyes, that's what we do first, right? And I think the same is true with anybody that sits down to your play your game. If you want the best possible experience for them, give them something visually to oh, understand yeah. as well. 
Although I would add, I would add to that a, a general warning is that while I absolutely agree with you, and I think those things are great ways to get people into your game, beware of the, the siren song of our layout, graphics and design. Because if you haven't finished your manuscript, Please. you do not have a game. Oh, and yeah, it is yeah. very easy to get, oh, the cover's going to be like this, the layout's going to be doing, I've got this guy doing this, it's going to be brilliant. Till you finish the manuscript, you've got nothing. Yeah. So I don't fall down a, the have... rabbit hole of getting all that stuff sorted before you've actually finished it. Get right. it there. And then you can go hog wild with it. Yeah. I I have a prototype tip. What I do is that I, I want to make a game. I commission a cover for it for an artist that I really like. Mm. So I spend some money on it. So I'm like, yeah. oh, I have to write this because I spent, you know, $500 on this cover. So yeah. I better yeah. write this thing. Right, right. Exactly right. Uh, Stephen, what's a, something that you would, uh, last thought that you would give to folks? Uh, I would say well, something, actually it was interestingly enough that uh, some, uh, a piece of advice, I only met Gary Gygax once in my life. Um, uh, and I had just got hired by Wizards. I was actually going to Gen Con that year anyway. And about Two weeks before I, you know, Gen Con Wizards of the Coast said, Stephen, we want to hire you and blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh, cool. And so I went to Gen Con and this was back when it was Milwaukee. And I was outside smoking and I looked next to me and it's all like, well, there's Gary Gygax. And so, of course, I boldly introduce myself. I tell him that I just got hired by Wizards of the Coast. He was very congratulative and everything else. And I'm like, do you have any advice for me? And he's like, oh, you don't need advice for me. And I was like, no, you know, but, and, and he said, um, a lot of people are, he said, yeah, I think I can tell you this. A lot of people are going to tell you, hey, you can't do this and you can't do that. And it, he goes, but never do that to yourself. And it's a bit of advice that I've told uh, my students over time and everything else. There's a lot of times when we're the ones who are the roadblock to our own creativity and our own desire to work. Um, don't do that. And and now I know that's easier said yeah. than done. Yeah. There are things that happen in the day, and you know, and 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 perils and problems in life, and there's there's plenty of things. But uh, always always endeavor not to be your own roadblock. Hmm. I love that. Awesome, uh, Andrew. Last little note from you. I've got uh, sort of two small ones really. I mean, the first one is don't get hung up on the maths. That there are you see a lot of designers do this whole chart for probability process. If you've got a level six skill versus a difficulty, here's the probability. When you get to playtesting, if people are succeeding, roughly the amount of times you think they probably should be succeeding for their level and heroic style of your game, you're, you're fine. It doesn't matter what the probability and the maths table. Let, let the playtesting inform you rather than the raw numbers. I mean, get the maths right and everything, but don't worry about you know deep layer maths because you won't need it you're playing a game um and the other one which i suppose is is probably a nice one to end with is you are not alone in doing this there are huge communities um not just the community support um groups with doing the community content stuff there are young independent games designers all wanting to get together in there's meetups in pubs there's online forums talk to them about your game ask them for help suggest your game to them get them on board to help you write graphic design edit all those things because you will need those things for your game um, get their examples on where to go for printing where to who to talk to about distributing a game all of that the information is all out there you don't have to figure it out for yourself there's 
an ocean of people you can ask um, and even people at conventions you know, I've lost count of the number of times people have said to me I've got a game what do I do with it at a convention I say well okay this is a much longer conversation than the convention will be on for but here's some pointers and, and how can I help you out you know it's a welcoming industry and there's loads of people out there who will help you so talk to them get out there yeah believe it or not yeah. people mm. who like designing games are typically pretty cool people uh, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. um <laughs> So yeah, okay. As we close this out, first off, thank you. Except for that guy, you know who you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, thank you guys for for hanging out with me. Thanks to chat for uh, hanging out and being cool as always. Um, we're gonna give people one last chance to find a place to uh, connect with you. Um, let's start with Stephen. Stephen, where can they find you, and what's a product maybe if if there is one in your in your pipeline that you'd like to point people to? Um. Well. Uh... One of my my resolutions for next year is to uh, uh, corner more time for Delve. Um, I'm going to be running some Delve at Gary Con this year and maybe a couple of other shows. Uh, and you can find that at delve-rpg.com, at least. It hasn't been updated for a while because I've been uh, super busy on other projects, but uh, um, I, I'm making a big push to, to get that game out the door. Yeah. I made a promise to myself that... I deal so much with deadlines and everything else. This was the game that I was going to take my time on, but now I am taking too much time. <laughs> awesome. So keep an eye out for Delve at your convention scene and mm -hmm. you can keep an eye on uh, Delve in general uh, by just keeping an eye on Steven. All right, Andrew, what's something you would point people to? Cool. Well, uh, makes it obviously Dune from Modiphius is my baby at the moment. Um, so the team is amazing on that. So good. Uh, and the same with My Little Pony with Renegade. Check it out because it's not maybe what you think you know about it uh give it a go i've got sucked into the void of my little pony starting um check out regency cthulhu from chaosium and um i'd also like to do a shout out to my most recent independent game which is opera house which is a theater role-playing game it's all sort of source book and things so a um, little bit of everything there hopefully perfect thank you andrew uh Diego. uh I'm Diogo, and, and I have a, a cool game that just won an award called Cosmosaurus, which is a game about space dinosaur rangers uh, defending the gags for info threats. Uh, he won an award on Bill Awards 2023, and it's a family game. It's a very easy to run, a minimalistic game inspired by Forged in the Dark and Lizards and Feelings. It's beautifully illustrated by Lukas Kowalski. Uh, from Poland and, and, and graphic design by Gleba Gontijo, which is a masterful artist. And it's a perfect gift for, for, for holidays if you have, you know, kids and, you know, nephews or anything like this. It's, it's a fun game. It's inspired by Saturday morning cartoons. It, it's full of tools for to generate uh, ideas for the games. Uh, it's very easy to run and it's perfect for, you know, introducing uh, kids of all ages and and, 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 and you know, just playing for fun, you know. And look out for Primal Quest 2, which another dinosaur game. I like, I like, you can see I like dinosaurs a lot. So, you know, Primal Quest is my fantasy prehistoric uh, game. Uh, it's out from Exalted Funeral, Cosmosaurus 2, but it's on, on store too. And we, we are coming out with a solo and GM list supplement and a GM screen for it very soon and we're developing the line even more. You can find me at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook or Blue Sky. I was at Diogo underline Old Skull, like the old 
uh, bone in your head, not school that you go to learn stuff. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. All right. With that, I'm Zach Goins. You can check me out on all the Facebook and uh, Blue Sky and a few things like that. Also, I'd encourage you to keep an eye out on the World of Game Design socials for more information about the Hannibal RPG. We launch it in the spring. 